everyone, and welcome to Cocktail Culture with Citywide Liquors. I am Daniel, and this week we are with Martin Duffy of the Glen Karen Glass Company. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Daniel. Just fine. I'm hunky-dory here in my very uh, stately abode oh, here in Chicago. Yes, for sure. Yes, it it looks very Chicago. I don't know if it's the colors you have up or just this the red and the blue, the <laughs> red. It's dingy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it look. I don't know. It's it's in a um. I don't know. Well worn, like a fine leather glove or something it of is. that sort. Where <laughs> some patina. A, yeah. Uh, what's that? Uh, is that tepia? Tipia? Tipia? Was that? Uh... Oh, the the sepia tones. Yes, yeah. Yes, sepia. Yes. Sepia. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Oh, like exactly. An old Western. That's how I like it. Yeah, definitely. It's like yeah. you're, uh, you're like in, um, you're back in like the Blues Brothers, uh, yeah. the Elroy's oh. apartment, or, or the Elwood's flashback, apartment. the flashback modes of, uh, of the Godfather. Right. Yes, like. yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> to be their to own. <laughs> right. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, so you represent, you know, you were the U.S. representative for for glassware like this is a little different than what we've talked about before you know usually we're talking to, uh, to beer representatives from a brewery uh we've talked to bill welter uh from journeyman you know distillery representatives um how do you get from i know you've done whiskey and stuff how do you get there all the way to glass walk us through that well <laughs> uh you question, know, it's, I know. <laughs> it's not a kind of a normal little journey but um <laughs> i actually in a way i guess maybe it is because uh, ray raymond davidson who started Glen Karen. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Oh, wow. Uh, as a company. And Raymond used to sell glassware to the whiskey industry in uh, Scotland. And then he decided to open up his own crystal decanter company. So Glen Karen started off making decanters for um, all the big whiskey companies for any of their very older, exclusive, more expensive uh, expressions. And um, I started in the 1990s, early 90s. I started off as bartender and then about the mid 1990s, I got a gig promoting uh, Johnny Walker. Um, it was a part-time thing for about seven years, did a lot of Johnny Walker, classic malts. At the time, this was UDV which also had Dewar's hmm. and a number of other whiskeys, uh, all under one giant umbrella. Um, so it was before Diageo became Diageo. Um, and I was uh, doing a lot of whiskey stuff. And then came along the whiskey shows. You know, it seems ubiquitous nowadays. Whiskey shows are all over right. the place, or they were prior to 2020. <laughs> right. um, but... Uh, when Whiskey Fest and Whiskey Live started uh, here in the U.S., um, I was working the events for the brands. And it was, uh, it was 2020, it was 2001. 2001, wait, 2001, that's right, <laughs> yeah, right? 2001. Yeah. Um, and I met this, you know, I met Ray. Uh, Raymond was uh, coming over along with his son, Scott, and Scott's soon-to-be wife, uh, Aileen, and it was, it was, they're just sweet, wonderful people, and I became good friends with them, and I, anytime I was over in Scotland, I'd go and stay with them, hang out with them, and um, uh, let's see, I left Diageo at the end of 2010, 
uh, bummed around, did a couple different things, was a uh, national brand ambassador for Benedictine. Nice. Everybody, uh, yeah. for 18 glorious months <laughs> uh, until they cut that cord, which was, <laughs> I actually had told them about uh, three months into the gig. I said, why did you hire me? I mean, you guys have no money to have me do anything. <laughs> so it was 18 months of just really collecting a paycheck. Right, uh, right. But it was a great brand, a yeah, really great history. Definitely. Um, Anyways, about a year after I left Bacardi, which owned Benedictine, mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Davidson, the youngest of Raymond's three sons, uh, was in Chicago and he asked me to lunch. And he says, Hey, how would you like to come work for us? You know, at that, up to that point, Andy had been working basically the entire planet. He was going to Asia and all this other stuff. But now he was about to get married himself. He really couldn't travel all this time. And so they thought, Why not just hire me to take care of North America? Uh, and the rest is kind of little crystal history. I've been doing it ever since. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And the, the really cool thing about it is I'm like Switzerland. When I go to a whiskey event or I go to a distillery, I'm not working for a competing brand. Mm-hmm. I'm working for a brand that every distillery uh, can use. Uh, most distilleries want it. Mm-hmm. already so it's actually a very easy sell um i in fact i almost never really sell it i just tell people about it and if they want it great if they can afford it great it's not that expensive um but you know obviously little small distilleries have to watch the pennies especially after right. 2020 um <laughs> but i'm really surprised in the last couple of months actually since probably july August of last year, um, sales have been fantastic. At first, when the lockdown first happened, it became uh, a little quiet out there. But um, I think a lot of brands have now found different ways to market, um, market their, uh, their spirits. And so they've uh, they've incorporated the glass. Uh, There's a lot of shows a lot like this one. And, you know, you see all these online whiskey groups now. Um, and they're all doing the glass and sometimes they're working with brands to do it. So the orders for the glass has really done really well. We thought we were going to be in the doldrums, but uh, I think we've caught up as far as sales, we caught up to 2019, which was a, oh, wow. a huge year for us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, we were, we were swamped right before Christmas so much so that a lot of the orders we were getting, uh, say by late november we just had to say you might not get this until you know mid to late january yeah no i mean it makes sense and i i guess i was kind of like picking that over and like how um you know the sales increasing and whatnot and it seems like it might make sense that like more whiskey brands uh would be buying them uh to kind of give people maybe if you were selling a lot more to bars or to brands beforehand maybe now whiskey brands are trying to get people to have that full tasting experience in the home to purchase their branded glass rather than it's like if you go to a bar you can taste ours the right way but now it's like no we want you to taste it the right way i mean everywhere so it should like extend that to their home as well you would think um, well, they've been doing great. I mean, I, I last weekend I did a little mini tour up around Wisconsin and mm. Illinois, visiting distilleries, and everyone's interested 
in doing online tastings, doing kits, mm -hmm. sending out, uh, you know, little sample kits of their whiskey and the whole idea of sending it along with a branded glass mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense, even to the point where Glen Karen is now working on its own little um, sample kit. Mm -hmm. So it'd be four little bottles of branded glass and probably a, an eyedropper. Oh, yeah. Their yeah. own little pipette. Definitely. Uh, in a branded little box. Yeah. And so that's something that not only can uh, online, just uh, you know, distilleries do online tastings with it, but bars, mm. there's a number of bars here in Chicago. We have Delilah's, and they're teaming up with different whiskey companies to do a series of, of samplings and tastings to benefit the bar, which has still been closed all these year, uh, all these months since last March. Mm -hmm. Um and hopefully go towards you know uh taking care of some of their staff uh even a cigar store mm -hmm. is now thinking of doing the same thing They're sending out samples of whiskey with a glass and then a cigar that would yeah. go well with those whiskey samples smart yeah uh so i mean it's there's a lot of opportunities out there and i think brands small brands uh would do well since you know, Daniel, you work for uh, uh, the off-premise. The uh, That's really right now. I don't, know, I don't know. Indiana, you guys are kind of opened up compared to Illinois, aren't you? Somewhat. Yeah, but yeah, so it's definitely, we are, we're still, I mean, people can come in the stores still, definitely. It's just, but what about, what about the on-premise? Oh, oh, on the on-premise? Yeah, the on-premise is still just decimated in that some you know some places are doing it i know some bars especially in our area of south bend you know like a smaller area where it's like a lot of the bars who are like primarily a bar are still just kind of like closed like somebody opened back up and tried it out again but it's just kind of like the rest the ones that have restaurants to kind of support them plus the plus the bar but the ones that were just kind of you know divey bar. bars are yeah still struggling for sure that's yeah that's horrible um but you know this is you know, the online uh, uh, route is a, a real option. I mean, some of these some of these online tastings, like I said, uh, like Delilah's is doing, it's, it's kind of premium. And the whiskeys they're offering are quite uh, unique, mm -hmm. high-end, yeah. rare. I mean, it's a great opportunity for uh, folks who really love whiskey to explore, but also to support. Right institutions like delilah's or um you know jack rose over in dc and all these different whiskey bars you guys had a whiskey bar what was it called the scottish themed bar oh uh yeah, fiddler's hearth and yeah, or, or say, say we're in uh we're in uh south oh bend. you're in south yeah. bend you're in yeah, south yeah. bend there's one in um in indianapolis uh I know there's a McNiven's is a pretty popular one on Mass. It's McNiven's. Uh, they actually, I think I just saw last week that they are permanently closing and changing over to something else. I just oh, saw that last week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I used to go down. I used to do whiskey tastings there. Yeah. Yeah. In my Diageo days. Definitely an institution. I know I used to, like, I, you know, grew up in India and um, I, I went there a few times, definitely, you know, for some watching some soccer games and whatnot back, back when I had just turned 21. So. It's a, it's a good spot for sure. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, if had you gone in there prior to maybe even 2010, well, I probably wouldn't have been wearing my kilt then. 
<laughs> but in the early aughts, I was, uh, you know, most of the whiskey events I did, I was always wearing a kilt. Oh, wow. <laughs> and putting on a fake Scottish accent. Because oh, definitely. I, yeah, I'm a, uh, an Irish boy from the southwest side of Chicago, and <laughs> I just felt weird wearing a kilt and not having an Irish, having a, a Scottish accent. You've got to have a Scottish accent with you. Right. Testing right. out Scotch whiskey to people. You know? It makes it the experience more authentic for everyone. Exactly. And people really dug it. When I dropped the accent, they go, oh, why'd you do that? I go, because yeah. it's not real. I mean, well, uh, really? Right. All right. I'll yeah. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Watch your boat. <laughs> whatever, whatever puts this whiskey into your hand, that is fine. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> whatever makes the experience more authentic to you personally. Yeah. Luckily, though, a lot of the brand ambassadors I know now, like a, a Dan Crowell, who's with Glamorangi and Ardbeg. You know, guys like that, they don't have to do that. They don't have to dress up in kilts. Uh, they just really are so well educated now mm-hmm. on whiskey. It's amazing um, what things are. When, they, when we started as uh, Masters of Whiskey back in full-time back in 2003, January, basically January 2nd, 2003, we're, we're given... Like one week, they brought us over to Scotland for one week. We did the whiskey advocate course. It was great. But then, uh, you know, uh, we had no uh, no instruction on, like, what our job was. They just said, well, you know, just go out there and make it your own. And there were no brand ambassadors before us. So we had no idea, you know, okay, what do I just walk around in a kilt? Right. You know? <laughs> walking into bars yeah. cold calling luckily I had a, a woman who was in um, uh, who worked for Shefflin Somerset at the time and she was great she was a market manager she was able to get things going anyways yeah. I digress yeah. I get away from the topics <laughs> at hand no see no, what I mean, happens when I start reminiscing no definitely it's great I think I mean brand representation is obviously important and I feel like a lot of something that uh being kind of on every side of the industry I've been in over the last decade, it seems like that a lot of representatives don't understand that a lot of uh, sales is just like being a decent person and like, you know, you don't have to be fake, but just being like, you know, we have reps who we like to buy from more because they're nice people. And yeah. <laughs> or it's just like, Hey, that person did not like, Oh, I only support my friends, but I'm like, if you're, you know, you don't have to, and you don't have to come in and talk to us for an hour, but just like, Hey, some of these people, you know, we've experienced in there. You know, it, it, it goes a long way for sure for some. Uh, the whole thing is, I mean, I, I don't know because I was never in sales in any other line mm-hmm. uh, of work. Uh, I mean, I sold light bulbs for about two days over the phone. which From glass to glass. That is uh, uh, that's that your was, story. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this this industry is really all about relationships. You know, you go into a, a bar, you go into a store and you ask, hey, what can I do for you? Here, here's my brand and I'm going to do anything I can for you to help sell this. That makes you money. It makes us money. Simpatico. I don't really need anything from you except, you know, you going, yeah, that'd be great. Come on in. Um, uh, and same thing with the Glencairn glasses, whatever we can do for uh, any of our customers, we do, you know, within reason, even though we've got a lot of people think Glencairn, since it's such a well-known glass, 
they think we're uh, this big, huge company, but really it's still family owned. We've got about 50 employees counting me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not big at all. And it's, you know, people are always calling us up, wanting us to sponsor stuff. We, go, we can't sponsor anything. I mean, we're not, we're not Diageo. We're right, Diageo. Right. We're like, I think we make as much as Diageo was spending on uh, shelf talkers for the Johnny right. Walker yeah. line uh, back in the day, you know, like 10 years ago. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, but you know, we do whatever we can. So especially now in the day of social media, if we can help support, those who support us, we do it, you know, however. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So in today's market, there's so many different like glasses out there. Um, there's, you know, every kind of crystal glass you could find for like uh, whiskey enjoyment. Uh, there's glassware you can buy that has like a mountain in it that looks like you're pouring your whiskey over a mountain. There's things with shapes and colors and all these things. So how do you, I mean, uh, yeah, how, how does the Glencairn glass differentiate themselves from like other whiskey glasses in the market well i mean the first thing is that it was the first whiskey glass i mean not counting uh a brandy stifter which the name alone tells you (laughs) it wasn't made for whiskey it was made for brandy um i mean that's why raymond came up with the idea this is back in the 90s and actually he's going to be on our show tomorrow on our sip of knowledge and it always it's always good to talk to him because it refreshes my knowledge of how the glass uh came about like i don't know exactly when in the 90s he came up with the idea but at the time he thought ah nobody's gonna go for this who's gonna you know you know it's yeah he came up with a kind of a shape Mm -hmm. and then it sat on the shelf for a couple of years until his oldest son came on board, saw it and said, Hey dad, what's that? That's, that's kind of a cool idea. It's oh, it's a, it's an idea I had. And so next thing you know, um, his son, Paul took it, brought it, uh, brought in a number of uh, master blenders from Scotland, about five different master blenders from five different companies. Uh, two of which are still working Dave Stewart with Balvini and uh, Richard Patterson with the Dalmore. Um, and so they came in and they gave their two cents, you know, like uh, how tall should the glass be? How wide should the bulb be? You know, how should the neck come up exactly? How mm-hmm. wide should the opening be? Uh, stem or base? Um, and all that was the input of these five gentlemen whose whose job and I, i'm not sure how familiar with the, a lot of the master blenders in scotland they very rarely ever taste a whiskey they'll nose it mm-hmm. and especially if they're going through 40 whiskeys a day you can right. understand why they don't taste Definitely. them all so it's all about the nose and how important it is mm-hmm. um and so they gave their two cents uh, it's funny, though, I will admit, uh, Richard Patterson uh, will often be seen with our stem copita glass instead uh, because he likes the stem. That's, oh, his, yes. that's his deal. And who knows? You might have said, hey, why don't you put a stem on that? Um, uh, but uh, they liked going with the base. 
Um, and this is what you'll always see Richard throwing the whiskey out of. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> very famous for throwing his whiskey away. I definitely uh, seen that. Class. <laughs> and I don't know, too. You know, he is a very, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Richard in person, but he's a very uh, prominent nose. A big, just very prominent, very straight out. Almost looks like a cartoon nose if you see it from the side. Uh, so I think he just kind of liked how his nose fit into the glass. He's also kind of very big into putting his nose in the glass. You know, where with the Glencairn, you don't have to. I, I don't. Right. I, I don't. I'm, I think that's great if you're a wine drinker, mm-hmm. doing the whole mm-hmm. dipping your nose into your wine. Right. But I always say wine's kind of snooty. Whiskey's friendlier. It comes right. up to greet you. Right. So, you know, just running the, the glass underneath your nose is more than sufficient. Uh, if you need to dig a little deeper and start diving, fine, go ahead. But uh, uh, the, the way the glass is designed, it's to chimney the the aromas oh, yeah. up perfect. to your schnoz, and <laughs> you just lightly inhale. Um, <coughs> what was the original question? Did I wander off? I no, wander no, off. You covered it for sure. No, you're talking. You got it. You gotta <laughs> keep sorry. me within the ropes. Cause I will wander off. You got to put stanchions on the couch. No, yeah. I was like, I'm having difficulty over here just cause I love hearing you talk about things that I'm like trying to remember like, Oh yeah, I got to keep this on track. I got to t- <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, wait, I'm here to ask you questions. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> well, meander. No, definitely. Like the chimney effect is definitely a really great, like, um, illustration of what's going on. And, um, I mean, to say, uh, putting your nose all the way in the glass, like I've actually heard that that like, and can kind of be like anatomically like detrimental to like your sensory palate where like, you know, where wine you are digging deep into there, but like with, you know, with just like the alcohol fumes can kind of like blast your like aroma palate a bit. Like if you're getting too deep into it, like, do you think there's, do you think that's something you shouldn't worry about? Or do you think that is like uh, an accurate representation of what could happen? What? That it over, or yeah, overtake yeah, your senses. Yeah. See now I've, heard this put out by um, my friend and competitor, Mr. George Manska, who has the neat glass, which um, I often tease him, uh, George, to get the idea for that glass from those little bowls at the carnivals where you throw the ping pong <laughs> ball in to win the, gu- the little guppies. Yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, he, uh, he actually, George put out a statement once about that where he claimed that glasses like the Glencairn glass uh, was the cause of the rift between the genders because women have a sense uh, or sense of sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And so it's becoming too intense for them, which is ridiculous. Women have a better sense of smell. doesn't mean that, oh my God, oh no, it's too much. No, no, they have a better sense of smell than men. So they, they, they don't need to dive that deep uh their sense of smell is just naturally keener Mm -hmm. men can scientifically speaking they're born that way women if they believe it's uh something to do with child rearing uh that uh they've done tests where women can identify uh they can have 10 women blindfolded and then bring 10 babies and the women can actually identify their baby by sense of smell 
Oh, wow. And it's almost exact. And they've done it yeah. with men and the men yeah. aren't so hot with that. <laughs> um, but men, men can be taught. Most master blenders are taught from an early age and you develop your sense of smell. Um, and when I say early age, I don't mean like from child, but you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of the older guys in the industry, I would say over in Scotland started off working when they're teenagers at a distillery and eventually they started picking up all this and anyone can do it. Um, there's a gentleman I used to work with there in Indiana, uh, was training to be a sommelier and he would, you know, would always be smelling stuff. It reminds me of my cat, you know, yeah. just constantly smelling <laughs> things and taking notes. Right, and right. that's what you do. That's where, um, you know, you, when you do hear someone giving you uh, tasting notes or uh, aroma notes, they're writing, you know, all these bizarre things like smells like uh, a leather jacket worn right. by a hell's <laughs> angel guy. <laughs> who overslept on Saturday right, or right, something like that. Right. Um, Star they, anise in my grandfather's pocket coat. Like something yeah. <laughs> something right, where you're right. like, this is very specific to you, but but how does that refer to what I'm doing? It smells like the big toe of the Statue of Liberty. Right. Um, <laughs> at one time I was standing on it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, well, that's true. There was a great video, and I, I don't know if I can find it on YouTube, but... Uh, it was done by Charlie McLean, mm-hmm. a uh, whiskey writer. Um, <clears throat> and it was a little thing that uh, Diageo had made. Uh, so we got it on disc. I probably have it around here somewhere. I should try to find it and download it. Um, but it was him doing a staff training at a distillery in Scotland. And he was doing the classic malts. And he wanted to find the elements that he thought each one of these whiskeys contain as far as aroma and flavor and so he went out and he would seek it out for so for talisker he went out to a beach and collected a bunch of seaweed you know he went out to um i think he got bananas or plantains i forget which uh for um craggamore you know and so he had all this stuff eventually on the table mm-hmm. and he'd have all the staff knows all these things first and then when the whiskey came in he said now let me know what you're t- smelling and what you're tasting mm-hmm. you know and identify it and and then once you get it break it down even more so that smells like bananas what kind of bananas ripe overripe mm-hmm. you know, brown banana you know uh, mushy um you know it smells like fruit what kind of fruit stone fruit you know fresh fruit uh, baked fruit. Um, it was really fascinating. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize how much our sense of smell is really our sense of taste. Mm-hmm. About 90, up to about 90% of everything you taste is actually through your sense of smell. You, know, you plug your nose and then try to taste anything, <laughs> you won't taste anything. Right. Right. When I was a little kid. That's what my mom used to do when you know, I had to taste, you know, take some medicine that really tastes horrible. Yeah. She'd plug my nose, you yep. know, hold my yeah. nose, you know, and you, <laughs> that's what you did. Right. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of people when they, when they go to nose it, I catch a lot of folks being a little more um, 
a little more uh, uh, worried about how they look, you know, nosing it. They want to look like, mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I'm really exploring this. Yeah, I'm picking up <laughs> coconuts and yeah. you know, unicorn hooves and you know, all this <laughs> stuff. When actually, um, they're what they're not concentrating on is really the aroma that's going down to their palate. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you hear a little thing for you, Dan. Yeah, um, please. When you use a Glencairn glass, mm -hmm. uh, what you want to do uh, when you're nosing a, a spirit is first start off at the bottom, the bottom rim, mm -hmm. through down here, and then slowly work your way up like that. And what mm -hmm. you'll do is you'll pick up the heavier, earthier, um, drier uh, characteristics down here. And then as you go up, you'll notice they get lighter and fruitier and sweeter if those elements are in there. Yeah. And it's completely different from the bottom to the top. And then what is that? Uh, that's not even an inch. Right. Or a little <laughs> yeah. more than an inch. Yeah. Uh, and then also go side to side. And you do this for two reasons. One, there's different flavors on the various sides as well. The various different aromas, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, too, your nose is really only working at 50%. Um, one nostril, basically, you really only use one nostril at a time. You ever notice when one side of your nose feels plugged up and the other... <laughs> Seems yeah, clear. Yeah. Like you're only breathing. Basically, your nostrils switch off every three to four hours. Mm, gotcha. So you want to find yeah. out which nostril is actually on duty. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> That's true too. Is that, yeah, if you're just going straight up, you may be only getting you know half of it or whatever. Right. Not... Right. And so you want to go like this. You know, you might want to just use say your you find out your right nostril is the one that's on duty at the time. Uh, so you use that one. On both sides mm -hmm. so you might even just turn your glass a little bit and just concentrate on that one schnoz that one part of your yeah. schnoz <laughs> yeah definitely yeah I've, I've heard that about the glassware too about smelling the top where it's like that's kind of where the bottom is more for yeah like you said the heavier the deeper like the molasses those like big maltier notes but the top is kind of more for like uh you're like your nutty nuttiness like your uh herbaceous notes and things like that that you may be picking up that may be more right. subtle but like can actually i feel like truly like out of the enjoyment of it and then like once you smell those then you start picking them up on your flavor as well yeah. as you're tasting and i've also seen another another little trick of the, well two little tricks mm -hmm. of the trade um one um now i've seen i forget who this was but it was a brand ambassador and I don't know where they picked it up. And it just seemed a little goofy to me. They were, um, they had the glass, say down around their belly button or their belt buckle. Mm -hmm. And then they slowly raise it up, nosing all the time. I think, what are you doing? What, right. is, what is that? I guess maybe aromas that are coming up or I don't know, they change <laughs> as they come out and they're right. different up here, but I don't, I don't know. I did. I didn't. Because <laughs> I'm saying this, this is too far away from your nose for your nose to really understand what it's uh, breathing in. Mm -hmm. um, but um, 
if a, say you're drinking a barrel strength or a cast strength whiskey and the fumes are a little intense, especially for a lot of folks who aren't used to drinking those uh, styles of whiskey, um, you can always put you know, the glass underneath your nose, but breathe in through your mouth and then you'll taste it in the back of your tongue without the alcohol. Oh yeah, nice. Right, yeah, that's a nice, yeah, it's a nice little trick. Plus, I'm also a big proponent of adding water to your whiskey, especially if it's cast strength. Right. Nose it first on its own, see what it is. Sometimes, you know, cast strength, barrel strength whiskeys can be quite gentle on the mm -hmm. nose. Uh, other times, whew, you get this big blast. Um, so uh, add a little water and keep on adding water. One of the common questions I used to get is, well, what's the right amount of water? It's up to your nose. Right. You know, it's up to your palate. Do you decide? You know, if it's still too much, add more. Now, uh, master blenders can uh, bring the spirit down to, you know, 30%, maybe even a little more, 20%, mm -hmm. um, in order to get the full range of aromas that they need to uh, identify the whiskey and uh, pick up any flaws. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course, definitely. those guys, those guys are really, really trained. I had I'd read yeah. once where, I mean, a, a human, the human nose is capable of actually detecting thousands of different aromas. But uh, whether we can identify them, that's another thing. <laughs> but some master blenders have been known to detect and identify up to 800 Whereas the common person usually can detect and identify about 25. <laughs> right. Really. Right. Yeah. I mean, but that comes with training. You just yes. train yourself. And, you know, if you've never smelled a, uh, a marzipan cookie mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, you know, you have no idea. Right. <laughs> People often say that. Oh, yeah. I pick up marzipan. Really? Have you had marzipan? Hear it. <laughs> I had to order you? some. I had to order something when I first started hearing it, and all the time, yeah. what the hell is a marzipan? I never had marzipan. Yeah, it's yeah. You're, when when somebody's smelling it and they're like, "Oh, this is uh, you know a Maduro Ecuadorian wrapped," you're like, "Wait, wait, wait!" Like, so here, you know, how are you getting these differences? But you know, there are subtleties for sure. Um, it makes me think of now. This isn't whiskey; it's it's wine. But um, there was that movie. It came out in the last decade called Psalm, and it's all about these people going through like the master sommelier uh, training, and they're like studying with each other and whatnot. And there's this one scene, and it makes me laugh so hard because I feel like anyone watching just thought it was the biggest idiot. This is just one of the guys who's training, but he's just walking through a farmer's market and he's just like walking up to herbs and just picking them up and just like smelling them. And I'm like, and just walking to the next booth and doing that i'm like what booth person would be like yeah go ahead and do this be like don't touch that cilantro like what are you doing and it seems like you got to find a balance between like the snootiness but also the appreciation i think that's important with it as well yeah well and you know a lot of that too i mean especially within the whiskey world i, I originally it was in the wine world when i was a bartender in the 90s uh like i said there wasn't a lot of training there weren't a lot many bar, uh, brand ambassadors of any kind but once in a while you get a a brand manager like anthony burnett would come over um with uh, glamorengi and do some trainings uh bar I, this is in the late 90s before that maybe evan katnack would come over with the classic waltz 
but that was rare. Um, and very rarely did you have a staff training. You, know, you might have to go to an event, a whiskey event. Um, but uh, we got plenty of wine trainings. In the wine trainings, you know, I always thought it was a little too snooty. It was a little too much. It was like, when do you drink this? I'm sorry, when do you finally get around to actually drinking this? Because <laughs> all the other steps you're going through and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. what does that all mean? What, right. what, you know, that's great, but it just feels like you're giving me filler. And then, <laughs> uh, and then unfortunately, as time went on, especially with single malt scotches, and then now later with, with whiskey and bourbon, people have gotten so much into the minutia of whiskey that they forgot to just sit back and enjoy it, mm -hmm. you know, to buy a bottle, pour it in a glass, you know, enjoy the aroma, enjoy the flavor, just kick back and that's it. You know, don't, you know, so many people want to know the, the, the breakdown of the grains and uh, what, what style of still and all this other things like, <laughs> why are you going to make it? You're not going to make it. Don't worry about it. Right, right. I mean, if you're, you know, you're planning on opening up a distillery, that's great. That's good. All right. You know, learn all this stuff. That's right. wonderful. The more you learn, the, the better. But so many people just, I mean, all this, everything I'm telling you about here, mm -hmm. you know, nosing and everything, that's great for um, simply uh, appreciating a whiskey. Mm-hmm and uh, especially a style of whiskey you know with the the various uh, you know there's about 150 distilleries now in scotland well you know the whole idea of regional characteristics kind of not so much it used to be a nice kind of way to generalize about you know um oh if it's from the islands it's going to be smoky and peaty right. no not necessarily right. there's non-peated expressions there's right. some expressions that aren't peated but are by the ocean so they have a interesting brininess like uh old, I, old pulteney reminds me of that mm -hmm. it has a little bit of a maritime character to it but it's not peated uh then you have space side and highland whiskeys that are now being peated right right you know and I mean, heavily peated. So it's all over the map nowadays. Um, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's still a good, you know, if you want to explore Isla whiskeys, knowing Isla whiskey is good. So have the Isla whiskeys and do a little appreciation. But once that's all the way, kick back, crack open a bottle, pour it in a glass, maybe have a little uh, water on the side. Add a dollop of water if you want, or take a nice big gulp of it first, and then have your whiskey and just enjoy. Right. Whiskey is <laughs> whiskey was made for the common man. Right. That's what it should be uh, about. It should be just for the regular guy, um, uh, and the rich guy. You know that's fine too. Everyone, <laughs> any any person, man or woman, right, rich right. or poor, they should be able to just enjoy that whiskey without having to. I don't know, make a freaking algebra equation. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, know? definitely. I mean, there there is a level of uh, of like um, 
I don't like to say snootiness, but snootiness to uphold within it because we are talking about like a specific glass uh, for your whiskey. Whereas like, um, you know, it's increasing, I, as I see it, you know, it's increasing your ability to taste. And I know you see it this way too. That's why you're talking about this glass. And, uh, but for people um, like, in the past, I, it, it, not even in the past, I have been now on a, you know, crusade of trying to tell people how like beer coming out of a can is going to be better than coming out of a bottle. It's just a better vessel for the product, like not for tasting, obviously, but like, this is what's better for this. Like, no matter how many people think whatever, they think it tastes oh, yeah. like aluminum, whatever, you're wrong. But like, how do you like personally sell the importance of tasting from the Glencairn glass versus a traditional rocks glass versus uh, pouring, you know, a pinted, you know, Jim Beam into a shaker pint and just drinking it? Like, how do you like separate this for people? Well, I, I just give them the option of using the Glencairn glass. I mean, once again, I mean, we do have a Copita, so you can always right. drink it yes. out of a Copita. Sure. Um, one of the things we came up with now, the, the mixer glass, as we call it, mm -hmm. uh, but if you venture up into Canada, they know it as the Canadian whiskey glass because they came to us asking for a glass just for Canadian whiskey. The, the whole idea with this glass was that you could still nose and appreciate your whiskey. And then, you know, if you want to drink it neat, you can. Otherwise, you drop a big rock inside there yeah, uh, and even add a mixer. And as it turned out, this glass, guys down in Kentucky and Tennessee discovered this glass and they've adopted it as well for the very same reason. Right. They love the idea that you can nose it, but you know, obviously Kentucky and Tennessee can get a little warm <laughs> in the summer. Mm -hmm. So uh, dropping a nice big ice ball in there, mm -hmm. they, love they love the idea. Um, and that's just, it. it's all options. We also make uh, rocks glasses and tumblers. So we're, you know, we're, uh, it's it's all about how you want to enjoy it. I have a beautiful set of Glencairn uh, crystal tumblers nice heft to it mm -hmm. and there is something to drinking uh whiskey out of a, an old-fashioned you know cut uh tumbler glass you know and maybe even pouring it out of a nice crystal decanter yes yes you know, <laughs> you know there's a little bit of that whole hello i'm a lord of the manor kind of feel <laughs> yeah, about it yeah definitely. and unfortunately i don't really have a leather wingback chair but <laughs> someday i will have one and that's how you will see me sitting yes, there exactly um, but when I really want to explore, I mean, that's great for drinking, mm -hmm. you know, but if I want to really explore a whiskey and usually when I go to a bar, I'll want it in a Glencairn glass, not a rocks glass. Um, and the whole reason behind that is I want to re-educate myself, you know, especially if I'm not drinking a whiskey every day and I don't, I don't really, I don't drink at home for the most part. Uh, very rarely. Um, so when I go out, I want to re-familiarize myself with something, um, you know, say a Lagavulin or a Henry McKenna or uh, a Blanton's, you know, I because I haven't had it in a while. Mm -hmm. Well, how am I going to do that? I want to do it in a Glencairn glass for that very reason. Uh, unless they have the, the mixer glass on certain whiskeys, I like ice, uh, so I'll ask for this. Yeah. 
though i must i give a little uh shout out to this company i think it's called alambic up in canada uh i met the gent uh he's a french canadian out of montreal and he came up with a little device for chilling your whiskey in a Glencairn glass and it's called unfortunately it's called an ice bomb which uh, makes it a little difficult, uh, I think, uh, U.S. Customs, when they see that written, <laughs> right. they get a little little uh, uh, nervous. Um, but if you can get it, you go online and, and, and buy it, it's great. It's just a, um, uh, a glass, almost like a swizzle stick, except there's a ball with liquid inside of it. And you put it in your freezer, mm-hmm. you chill it, and then you stir your, your whiskey if you want to chill it down a bit nice yeah Smart. i do like that yeah yeah you know, water it down if you if you're one of those who thinks oh right. I don't like any ice water melting in my whiskey right um which i always found funny because you have people who don't like ice or water in their whiskey and then you ask them well what's the abv on that oh it's 45 percent <laughs> oh really it's 45 percent. so what's the other 55 percent <laughs> yeah there's already water in it water was every part of the stage of making whiskey but once again i digress (laughs) oh you know going back real quick to to the with your second question about the various styles of whiskey there are glasses that are Mm -hmm. out there Mm -hmm. you know that's fine uh i've you know i say i know a bunch of people collect whiskey glasses all every different kind uh, if you want to have the, you know, there's the Irish whiskey glass came on the market a couple of uh, years ago. Um, I, I, what was that called? The new, newest, newest. It has kind of a little Gaelic name to it. Um, and then there's obviously George Banska's the neat glass, which looks like a little glass platoon. Um, and then uh, the Norland glass. Um I mean, these are all fine if they work for you, and if you're not, you're up to paying the price for them. Right. Um, uh, they're, you know, they can be. Some of them are, I think, some of them are overpriced. Some don't really offer, or don't really offer what they promise. Or they offer what they promise. They don't really give you what they promise. Right. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing is, again, yes, what's with the Glencairn glass? It was the first. There was no other whiskey glass before Glencairn. Um, and all these other guys are just basically chasing our dust. That's how I look at it. <laughs> right. Us, uh, you know, they they fear me. I'll never, well, never run into any of them. George, yeah. yes, the crystal <laughs> hammer. That's what they call me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, uh, strength, but uh, fragility, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is there is strength in fragility. That's my motto. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they uh, tack that up, put that on mm-hmm. some kind of uh, painting and sell it at TJ Maxx. I'm going to put we'll it on a wooden plaque above yes. the door here. <laughs> strength, strength and fragility. Yes. I like that. Oh, uh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So as we were talking about like ice and chilling things down, uh, how do you feel about the different ice shapes and also like the different like like whiskey rocks I think are a big thing? Like um, if you've ever mentioned whiskey to anyone in your life or they know it, the thing you like, you probably have about 12 pairs that you have uh, whiskey rocks that you've received for Christmas presents or birthday presents because they say you like whiskey and you like to chill that whiskey. So here is a permanent thing you can use to keep continually chilling them down. And now you have enough to make, you know, like a uh, uh, D&D style sachet of uh, of your D20s. Now you have all whiskey rocks. Um, how, how do you feel about those different um, just shapes and things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the like the whiskey, the actual whiskey rocks, the little, mm-hmm. I picked up a set once when I was in Stockholm. I saw it in a little gift store and I, I picked it up all, almost more as a novelty because mm-hmm. I saw them at a whiskey show a couple of years before and I thought, oh, that's weird. Then I got them and I thought, no, I'm not using these. No, I don't like the, I don't like the idea of <laughs> dropping actual rocks uh, that have been chilled in right. uh, my whiskey. Yeah, marble uh, and crystal that, are perfect meeting. Between yeah. It, uh, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how long they stay cold. Same thing, you got the metal ice balls, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mm-hmm. metal balls that you freeze and you put in and I don't like that either. I like, I, I do have a lot of fun with various ice trays. Um, like I do like actual ice balls. You know, you can freeze those up. Yeah. They, you can have, usually uh, they'll last for about three different whiskey, you know, three whiskeys, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. I like using um, uh, my, uh, what do they call that? Do they call that dirty ice? What's the term? And you, you, know, you, so you tell a bartender, no, I just put some ice on top of those ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, used ice. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, you, have the, you can use uh, the, the big ice cubes. I love those, especially in the rocks glass or in, the, uh, in our uh, mixer glass, the ice ball. I even saw one of those, you know, those ice presses that yes, cost like yes. – like one hundred and fifty dollars or more. Uh, yes, I've oh, seen those. A lot more than that. I don't know where you're shopping. Yeah, <laughs> apparently no, the seen... discount ice ball making store. Uh, wow, yeah, because I've seen them for like six to nine hundred. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, wow. Um, they they were at a whiskey show here in Chicago about a year and a half ago, and the cool thing about those is that you can get your own little um, mold, mm-hmm. your own little press. Mm-hmm. So they were making one that had. A Glencairn glass. Oh, wow. Press right into the, the ice. Oh, that's awesome. So, oh, yeah, I thought that was fun. <laughs> um, and uh, I even bought this one ice tray, a rubber ice tray, that was uh, called Gin and Titan- uh, Titanics. Uh-huh. So it was ice, it was little icebergs and little Titanics. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you, you, you freeze and uh, then uh, they go into your your gin and tonic. I thought oh, I definitely. love this yeah. gin and Titanic. Right. Yeah, um, I mean I think those are fun, and obviously I I am a big fan of the whole idea that the bigger ice cubes melt slower. Mm-hmm. And with certain whiskeys, like I used to always enjoy a Talisker Ten with a big ice uh, cube in it, and the slower that ice melted. You mm-hmm. discovered different levels of flavor in that whiskey. So every time you, you taste it, it seemed to get sweeter, mm-hmm. more chocolatey, you know, just really nice. Uh, and I like that for certain whiskeys. You know, 
Um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. And again, yeah, I know some people say, oh, but ice suppresses uh, flavor. No, I, I think ice can release flavor because it is water after all. Right. Um, it does, it can suppress the aroma just because you do have now a field of cold air and that's mm -hmm. going to suppress a lot of the aroma that, that otherwise would be rising out of the glass. But you know, also at the end of the day, you know, if you're down in Kentucky and it is August or even September, right? I don't know how many folks have gone to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, but it can be hot in September, right. really hot. And you, you're outside, you have a whiskey, eh, a cold whiskey, a lot better than a, a warm whiskey. Oh, right. On yeah. a hot day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like nobody's ordering uh, their, you know, their derby cocktail uh, without the uh, the chipped ice. They're not ordering that meat, right. that's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's just the way uh, um, I always think about that. I think they're fun. I, I love the whole idea of, of actual ice trays that do something unique or different or have a theme. Uh, I like those ice compressors if they, if they didn't cost an arm and a leg. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but the, you know, any kind of artificial stuff, anything that isn't actual ice. <laughs> Other than, like I said, I did like the Alambic um, whiskey, the frozen whiskey stir. Yes. I like yeah, the yeah. idea because it was also tempered glass. So you can put it in the dishwasher, wash it. Right. Again, with the stones. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, really? I if mean, I, who really has a clean freezer? also to then refreeze those glasses that don't have any kind of scent in your freezer that's going to pick up on that and if we're talking about aroma here like not to you know call myself out or anyone in general but it's just like i mean none of us are like cleaning our freezers that often that that's not going to affect that like you know what like freezer burn smells like right but you know one thing you could do here's an idea mm -hmm. for you yeah so you take your you can always chill your glass right that's i we used to do that a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of pubs I don't know if you see it much anymore. I think it's uh, kind of used... gone away, for at least for beer. I know because it's like, it's kind of, uh, you know, it suppresses flavor. And if for craft beer places, at least. <sighs> yeah, you know, I was in a bar. <laughs> Me and a buddy of mine, uh, he was a spirit writer up in Milwaukee. We were both down at Tales of the Cocktail mm -hmm. in New Orleans uh, a number of years ago. We found this Irish pub. And you go in, and this place, they had the air conditioning up or down. <laughs> all yeah. the way it was arctic it was really cold but it felt so good because it was so hot and crappy outside mm -hmm. right and then top it off they gave you this ice cold bottle of beer mm -hmm. and they asked do you want a glass and said, yeah he gave you this mug that almost gave you freezer burn <laughs> right. on your hand when you picked yeah. it up yeah but you pour that cold beer into this ice mm -hmm. cold glass mm -hmm. you drank it and go oh my god i don't know i mean yeah to me, it tasted delicious, but it could have also just been because it's so freaking cold. It felt right. so good. Yeah. We'll say, I mean, if that's, if you're doing a lager that way or whatever, like a traditional, you know, American style lager, or German style lager, like I think it's perfect for that, but I think it's the move towards like drinking more like stouts and IPAs and things like that out of frozen where you do want them to warm up. Like if you're drinking a big mm -hmm. barrel aged barley wine or something like that, where you do want those, like you want it around 60 degrees to start getting those like vanilla oak like you know flavors to start coming out of things but yeah i think there's it's tough to beat a, a cold beer on a hot day that's for sure 
Well, and so the, the thing I was thinking too, is that if you really wanted to have your whiskey in a cold glass, you can put your glass in the mm -hmm. freezer mm -hmm. and put the glass into a Ziploc bag. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or even you could put your ice tray. I mean, I have these four, um, four cube rubber mm -hmm. ice trays for mm -hmm. the ice uh, blocks. Yeah. And, you know, you just put that into a big Ziploc bag, zip it, boom. And no, you know, no influence of, you know, the bag of onion peas that you have next to <laughs> yeah. it or anything like yeah, that. Exactly. No, that's a smart move. Yeah, definitely. We're trying to, without having to buy a uh, $900 cube press to yeah. have the perfect, <laughs> have the perfect uh, ice sphere that you need. Um, you know, another interesting thing, Dan, before we go, for you yeah. close things up, there was, uh, so one of the things I've been doing um, this past decade, I uh, was the co-producer of the Chicago Independent Spirit Expo mm -hmm. up here in beautiful Chicago, along with uh, Mr. Dave Schmier, uh, the founder, the former founder of uh, Redemption uh, Whiskey, Redemption Rye. Mm -hmm. um, and one of our vendors... I think he only showed up one year, but it was a gentleman from Alaska who harvests glacier ice. You know, he'd wait till it fell into the uh, into the water, mm -hmm. and then he'd drag it up on board, and then he cut it up into ice balls. And so he sent me some in you know this dry ice pack. Yeah, and I still have some, <laughs> all wrapped up in plastic, so you don't take it out till you're ready. Uh, to use it but I, I did one and it was pretty spectacular yeah uh oh, not only did it, it just it sparkled it was the weirdest thing i mm -hmm. mean it just it almost seemed like illuminated inside the whiskey it was so cool it's a oh, great wow. so if you ever uh, want something really unique i since he sent it to me as a uh, you know by his compliments, uh, I have no idea how much it costs. Yeah, <laughs> probably might be a little pricey. But hey, uh, it's a great but, gift. Don't yeah. buy that. You don't buy your family member another set of whiskey rocks. <laughs> buy them like Arctic Glacier ice, which I think they would appreciate a lot more. And yeah. use they would actually use all of them. And really, what, over a I'll good amount of time. Think how rare that is. That's it's just so crazy. Yeah. Now, you know, at the same time, I was wondering. Okay, so wait a minute. This big chunk of ice fell into the water mm -hmm. true i imagine the water up there is very clean for the most part uh say, hoping all the oil from the exxon lds <laughs> is washed away right um but i also think i don't know it, does he wash it somehow does it because it is right floating around in it's part of the, the ocean. process maybe yeah hopefully right. anyways i figured yeah i drank it with some <laughs> high proof whiskey i figured that take care of any, any parasites yeah. or yeah you're like oh i'm getting some fusel notes in this oh yeah that's probably just the high proof whiskey get up some seal poop right. mm. <laughs> hey yeah. that's just an essence that's just another uh that's another nice. flavor uh within right. the within your 800 uh your library slightly, of aromas slightly fishy little nutty <laughs> kind of seal <laughs> right. poop right what is it uh alaskan king crab uh you know that's huh. from the tv shows <laughs> love that's it now there's an idea break open up uh, actually if you guys little uh, little thing for you yeah uh, the guys at talisker 
used to harvest oysters. Um, they moonlight harvesting oysters and selling them down to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you ever have seafood, have some Talisker. Okay, yeah. No, yeah I've never had it with king crab. But <laughs> I know oyster, pour a little Talisker in the oyster. It's mm -hmm. delicious. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. now you got me that. thinking king crab. I got to try okay. some king crab. So we'll take king crab legs, and then we will, uh, after cleaning them out completely of the meat, we'll then put the water back into them. We will freeze them, and that will be your whiskey, Rob, ah. as a king crab. Yes. This is Stir my whiskey <laughs> with a king crab. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Frozen king crab. Well, yeah, that's a just, sea. The water slowly drips into there over time. It just, like, you know, expands your experience. There that's we go. Good. I think we've, we've got something on our hands yeah. here. Just don't <laughs> pour any butter on it first, because then right. the butter gets in your whiskey and it's uh, on garlic, no garlic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think um, I, I have one one last question to ask you here. Yes, and sir. Um, I think I can actually trust your opinion against other people's uh, and say that since, since you're not representing an actual whiskey brand, I can actually get your honest opinion. Uh, what is one of your favorite inexpensive whiskeys? One of your go tos? Uh, let's say sub forty dollars or around there. Like I know. Um, you know, it's kind of tough, and I know sometimes that's bigger brand stuff, but what's one of your, you know, main go-tos that you think people can get a lot of flavor for their dollar out of? Well, there's a couple. I mean, it's, I'm a, in a way, also, though, I'm a bad guy to ask because I very rarely <laughs> buy any whiskey. Right, I have loads right. and loads and loads of whiskey from <laughs> my years in the industry. A lot of people right. send me bottles and... Um, but uh, I know one of my more recent favorites, and I'm assuming it's around 40 bucks, is out of New Mexico is um, Cole Keegan from Santa Fe uh, Spirits. Oh, okay. Yeah. He does a mesquite um, malted uh, single malt. Oh, wow. That's really good. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I think one of the last times I actually drank at home by myself, I cracked it open. Someone had given me another bottle. Uh, Colin had given me a bottle uh, once upon a time. Uh, but, you know, I, like I said, I don't open these bottles very, uh, very <laughs> nice, often because, nice. you know, I, I just don't want to drink alone. But um, uh, this other fellow who was representing it or was about to represent it, he gives me a bottle and says, oh, yeah, I loved your opinion on it. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I should crack it open and have a little and see what he thinks. Oh man, I drank almost half the bottle. It was so good. <laughs> right. It was very good. Uh, and I think that's readily available and it's available here in Illinois. So uh, hopefully it's available over in Indiana. Plus it's yeah. a small brand, so support them. Right. Um, uh, I used to love Redemption Rye back when Dave owned it. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really drank much of it since he sold it to the Deutsch family, so you can check that out. Uh, Blum Brothers uh, make a very good, uh, they're not our bourbon, which is actually, eh, maybe you shouldn't have that one because that's really <laughs> not, they called it not our bourbon because mm. it's not their bourbon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they bought it from MGP while their gotcha. own stuff was laying down, but right, they make right. some great whiskeys. So check out Blum Brothers. Uh, as far as the big brands, I know a big favorite of mine was the Henry McKenna 10. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't believe how affordable it was. Yeah. But then somebody, 
I forget somebody listed as it, yeah it hit a list in like 2019 and it's just been like it's just especially on our side like I remember you know early January 2019 it's just sitting on the shelves and then now it's just yeah I don't know if it was whiskey advocate or whoever but it's just yeah. all of a sudden just like jumped and now it's <laughs> impossible to get well when you do get it how much is it going for um I think we generally I think our like the going around us is around 50 they're in the 40 to 50 oh, wow. range so it's kind of gone up yeah it a little sure bit. Has. It's yeah. but i think secondary on it is usually you know in the 100 to 150 range as well so because people are just like it's like we've seen it's one that we don't see very often like more than blanton's but not that much more honestly uh well i mean the other thing i would say to anyone out there uh, is uh there's a lot of great whiskey now mm-hmm. you know the beauty of the small craft distilleries. I mean, obviously the big guys make great stuff, but so much of their truly really good whiskey is now all hot items and right. uh, kind of out of that 40 and below range. Mm-hmm. But once in a while you can find some real great diamonds in the rough now that a lot of craft distilleries have come of age. They've, they've kind of learned. Um, I know uh, like few distillery in Evanston uh their um their few bourbon is really good I've had nights where you know at a bar where I couldn't I had to pull myself away from the bar <laughs> um uh let's see uh uh journeyman yeah journeyman mm-hmm. rye is really really good and if you can find a bottle of their old Ravenswood rye which was mm their uh, what they called it initially because they made their first batch at the Caval distillery on Ravenswood Avenue here mm-hmm. in Chicago before while their distillery was being built uh, so Bill went there and, and had it made um, that's you know that's kind of a collector's item because right Ravenswood winery I think owned by <laughs> Consolation oh, yeah. gave them a yeah. cease and desist on, on the name which is kind of goofy <laughs> Right, right. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. The uh, Balcones puts out some great stuff. Again, I can't vouch for the price. <laughs> right. Um, but I think Balcones prices have come down since they, I think they ramped up production. Right, um, hit into that range. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would have affordable whiskey. <laughs> else oh you know it's a great one i like out of kentucky and again it's a small distillery but with a very fine kentucky lineage uh is limestone branches minor case yes yes i like minor case a lot and that's uh, made by stephen beam who is uh related to the the beams oh, okay. he is i believe he is i think he's a great nephew of jim beam <laughs> that's right something like that um but uh yeah i really like that minor case anytime i go to a whiskey event i go to that one <laughs> so that's of all the locals yeah you know otherwise <laughs> you know what i drink though when i'm on the road johnny walker black yeah yeah every it's... bar has it and mm-hmm. it never ceases to satisfy my whiskey craving definitely yeah great great blended scotch for sure yeah and i it should be still under 40 
40 right yeah oh yeah 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 for sure so yeah. i think okay, yeah, it, is, it is under yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. i kept on seeing the price going up and up over the the years and right again i don't buy whiskey that's true yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right just you're when right. those i'm the, the wrong person to ask but <laughs> lucky few yeah that people seem to just give me give me whiskey all the right. time yeah, exactly. I think I need to get into the glassware business. That's that's what I've learned from this. It just seems to be the way. I mean, they <laughs> right. must look at me and say, that man needs a bottle of whiskey. Hey, I really I, don't. I hope to be that man one day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin Duffy, this has been amazing from the Glencairn Glass Company. Thank you so much. Um, you got anything? I know you have a podcast out there. Just hit us, hit us with what we should be following you on yeah if anyone is um uh anybody's uh free on tuesdays uh 12 p.m central uh 1 p.m eastern standard time uh we do a uh um an, a live online show with uh lou bryson whiskey writer um long time whiskey writer uh liz rhodes who was a former a distilling scientist at Diageo for over a decade. Now she's a consultant and myself, and we always bring on uh, different guests from the industry. Uh, a lot of distillers, brand ambassadors, uh, brand managers, uh, uh, bar owners. Um, and tomorrow, well, this might not <laughs> right. broadcast tomorrow. So we'll be out I, by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. Well, and the, all of our episodes, we've been doing it since May. So all of our episodes are available at Zavvy, Z-A-V-V-Y.co, uh, or on YouTube under A Sip of Knowledge. And tomorrow we're going to have my boss, Ray Davidson, the inventor of the Glencairn glass. So a little serendipitous. Awesome. Um, then other than that, just look for me at whiskey shows once we have them again. because. <laughs> yeah. I'm the common denominator at every whiskey show. You'll always see me wandering around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kilt or no kilt, you will be. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely have pants on. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is, so yeah, you know. makes it more recognizable that way. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely yeah. have the, uh, we'll have links to uh, that show and your info right there within the show notes of this episode, within our YouTube notes and on our podcast app. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Such a great interview. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's fun. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you.